Um, as we get ready for Christmas, and, um, and I really hope that you guys are ready. Is everybody shopping done? And there's silence. That is a, not a very good sign, okay? I've got about half of mine done, all right? So we've got some shopping to do. We've got some stuff to get ready, but we've got a week for it. Um, I personally love Christmas. I absolutely love it, and it's funny. The older that I get and the older that my kids get, the more I like it. Is that, the, is that true for anyone else? That for whatever, you know, as my kids get older and they're more and more into it and, and, they're, and the toys are getting cooler and cooler, that may be something that I could even benefit from, right? <laughs> it's like Christmas just keeps getting better and better and better. But, um, but one of the things that I love most about Christmas are stories. You know, I love Christmas movies, right? We got any movie buffs? Anybody else who just loves Christmas movies, right? Anybody love Elf, yeah. right? Christmas Vacation, yeah. right? Uh, Home Alone. Somebody needs to get saved, y'all. That is an amazing movie. <laughs> and then my all-time favorite, top of my list, without a doubt, is Die Hard. Done. Dunskies right there. All the men in the room. <sighs> right? Die Hard. Come on. Yippee-ki-yay. Come on. <clears throat> okay. Listen, there's just something about stories and Christmas that just go together. All the songs involve stories and all the, the books and the Twas the Night Before Christmases and all this kind of stuff. Like, there's just all these stories. And then, of course, there's the Christmas story that it all kind of comes from. There's just around this season, it's all about stories. And I bet that even in your families, there are some stories that kind of get retold every single Christmas. That one time 20 years ago when Grandma did this or that, or that one time that you got socks and underwear from Santa and that was all you got. Or, you know, whatever it is, those crazy stories that just get retold year after year after year. There's something about stories in Christmas that just go hand in hand. And it's interesting also to me that two children can grow up in the exact same house and experience the exact same incident or the exact same story, the exact same thing, but yet walk away and tell the story differently, right? Because of their own personality, their own, their own way of seeing the world, a lot of times we'll interpret things differently, we'll see things differently, we'll retell those stories differently. And to me, that's the power of story. It can be interpreted so many ways and so many different over and over and over again. And the Christmas story is this way. We've heard the Christmas story all of our life. We've heard it told over and over and over again, and sometimes from different perspectives and sometimes interpreted a little bit differently. Um, for instance, like kids, like whenever you hear kids tell the Christmas story, it's completely different than any other account of the Christmas story. Am I right? Like it just gets a little bit crazy. So just to kind of give you a little example of what I mean by that, I want you to check this video out. This is the Christmas story according to kids. Check this out. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, like, I can't say it good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, 
Pam, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. Well, they tried to go to a hotel, and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms. Literally, no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place and here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is get, getting born who is king of the Jews. The angels were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. Well, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and some wipes, and some milk, some shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how I would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think... He probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's going to be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby i ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is going to change the world. You're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. I'm glad to hear you laugh. It makes me very, very happy because I didn't know that you could this morning. You guys are so asleep this morning. So, so good. But listen, seriously, you've heard the Christmas story told so many times in so many different ways. And it was this exact same way in the Bible. It's the exact same way in the New Testament. All of the writers of the Gospels, they actually tell this story differently. And I don't know if you've ever taken the time to check that out, but each one of them is a little bit different. Like the Gospel of Mark, for instance. He doesn't mention it at all. He doesn't mention Christmas at all. He just skips straight into, into the life, the ministry of Jesus. And then Luke, Luke gives us an extremely detailed account. I mean, he's the one that we get a lot of the imagery and a lot of the elements to the Christmas story is actually from Luke, um, who was a doctor. So we, we know he was very detailed. He was very, he, he really knew what he wanted to share. And then we had John, who John, he, uh, he had a completely different take on it too, because he spoke more from a, from a heavenly realm, more from a spiritual realm. He was the one that talked about the word becoming flesh and living among us and walking among us. He didn't, he didn't talk so much about the manger and all those sort of things. And then the New Testament starts off with Matthew's account. And Matthew's account is the one that I want to spend just a few minutes talking about. Because his account is very different from the rest. And again, 
he's seeing it through a different lens. He's understanding the birth of Jesus. He's understanding Christmas from a completely different way. But he starts in such an odd place. And I don't know if you're like me, but every now and then, I get this, you know, maybe first of the year, or maybe it's just a random time of the year where I just decide, you know what, I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to just read all the way through it. Maybe you do the whole Bible, but sometimes you just say, man, I just want to read the New Testament. I just want to go all the way through it. I'm going to spend a couple of weeks, and I'm, I'm just going to read it. And as soon as you crack it open, you jump right into Matthew 1. And Matthew starts his story of the birth of Jesus in a peculiar way, because he starts with the genealogy of Jesus. So right out of the gate, the first 17 verses of the New Testament are this extremely boring account of Jesus's heritage. It's 42 generations, and he takes the time to take us through all 42 generations. And I don't know if you're like me, but when you first crack that thing open and you start reading, you go, hum, 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 hum. verse 18, here we go. And you just skip all the way through it. You just bebop all the way through it to get through it. And then you start the story. But Matthew was extremely particular in the way that he started his book. But to us, it's very, very odd. It's very odd. So what I want to do is I want to read a portion of it. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing uh, because some of you would fall asleep. Um, And then I can't pronounce all the names. So I don't want you laughing at me. Okay? So I'm going to start off Matthew 1, and I'll just kind of skip around. This is kind of my Cliff Notes version of it. But this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David. 14 from David to the exile. And 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Now we just kind of skipped through a whole bunch of that. But there's a whole lot more of it. All 42 generations he walks through just like that. And I wonder, why would Matthew do that? Why would he start in such a boring way? Because if you're like me, the moment you start reading it, you just kind of think, like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, what, what did I do? Why, why do I have to read this? Like, it, it almost gets awkward and inappropriate with all the begetting that's happening. You know, this one beget that one, and that one beget that one. It just starts getting really awkward, and you start thinking, man, what happens in ancient Israel should probably stay in ancient Israel. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? All right. But why in the world would Matthew start this way? Let me tell you why. Because genealogies were like a resume. See, we live in a very individual society where it's all about us. It's all about our accomplishments and our degrees and the things that we've, the things that we've done. In this society, it was very communal. It was very family-oriented. So their resume, it was more important to connect them to who they were, their heritage, their clan, their pedigree, than it was what their personal accomplishments were. So what Matthew knew is that Matthew knew he had to connect Jesus all the way back to Abraham, and he had to connect Jesus to David. He knew that it was important for the Jewish people to to listen and to hear Jesus. He had to make those two connections. So in a lot of ways, this genealogy was a resume. It was kind of setting Jesus up to say, hey, listen, this is why he's the Messiah. 
He connects all the way back just like it's been told that he would. But just like today, you and me, we like to tinker with our resumes. We like to edit them. We like to make them just right, right? We take out those wasted weird years. We take out, you know, we, we, we polish up that degree a little bit better than it really was. You know, we clean these things up. We work on our resume because whenever we're going in for a new job, we want to present ourselves in the best possible way. It's exactly the same in this culture. They would tinker with their resumes, their genealogies. And so they would literally omit or they would make sure to, to say the right thing at the right place to make sure that they're presenting themselves or their family in the best possible light. There's stories about King Herod that he literally went into his official history, his genealogy, and omitted and deleted people out of his life, out of his pedigree, so that no one would ever be able to connect them back to him. Because this was such a big deal. He needed, they needed people to realize who they were. And this is how you got to know someone. It was more based on their clan, their tribe, their family, who that they were. Everyone tinkered with their resumes. But what's interesting about Matthew's account is that he does the opposite. He goes out of his way to point to some of the most misfits and mayhem, the bad apples, the, the liars and the cheaters. He goes out of his way to point to some of the most dark moments in Israel's history. And it's odd. And if you were reading this in that day and time, if you were reading this then, then it would have struck you as odd. It would have been absolutely out of place. Now to us, we don't really think much about it. We read through it and we just skim it. We read through it and we go, man, I just got to get through this. Just Lord, help me stay awake. But to them in this day, it would have spoken a lot. For instance, there's a man named Judah in it. Judah was one of Jacob's sons. Jacob had 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? And so Judah was one of the older sons. Now we know about another one of Jacob's sons. We know about Joseph. We talk a lot about Joseph. Joseph was this incredible man. Joseph was the guy who was one of the younger brothers. I mean, he was favored. He was the amazing Technicolor dream coat guy. I mean, you know, like he just, he had everything. Dad loved him. Everybody loved him. God spoke to him. He was a man of integrity and honesty. And his brothers hated him. They sold him in, into slavery. And next thing you know, he's in a dungeon. And then, and then he's elevated to the second in command in Egypt. And because of that position, he ends up saving the nation of Israel, his family. But it was all because of his integrity and his honesty. It was all because of the hand of God on his life. But yet Jesus did not come through Joseph. When God looked down and said, hmm, how am I going to get the Messiah, the king of the world, into the world? He said, I'm going to pick Judah instead. And if you look at Judah's life, man, there is some crazy stuff that happens in Judah's life. And one of those is the fact that he wanted to kill his younger brother. And then he gave in and he said, okay, let's just sell him into slavery. And this is the one that God said, no, no, not this, not the kid that's just amazing with honesty and integrity that God's hand is on. Not this one. No, I'm going to go through this meathead. <laughs> I'm going to go through this buffoon. I'm going to go through this one that's a bully, that's angry, that's frustrated. I'm going to go through this one. He's a nobody. And he points to the fact that, that, you know, God didn't choose the star athlete. God didn't choose the best of the best. He chose the one that we would have all looked at and said, that one's not going to amount to anything. Now, Joseph, this one's going to become something. But this one, hmm, I don't think this one's going to become much of anything. And when God looked down, he chose that nobody. 
He chose that Judah to be in the line of Jesus. Another one of the names that he points out is Ruth. Now, a lot of us know the story of Ruth, and man, the story of Ruth is a beautiful story. But what's interesting, number one, is that in a genealogy in this day and time, women would very rarely be mentioned. I mean, extremely rarely. Maybe one, if it was a significant person, maybe one. But in this account, Matthew lists five. So again, in this day and age, if you could put yourself in that culture, everyone's head is turned when they read that. Everyone is going, what? Why aren't we talking about all these women? Why are, why are we pointing these people out? Like, why are we specifically saying these women? And Ruth was one of them. Now, what's interesting about Ruth, particularly, is that she was a Moabite. She wasn't a Jew. And in this culture, she would have been a complete outsider. They would have never even let her into the camp, much less into the temple. Like, she would have been a complete outsider, yet, again, Matthew goes and he points straight to this Moabite and says, even an outsider, even someone that's outside what's okay and what's right is accepted, even somebody that's outside the camp, Jesus came through them. The very next person is Rahab. And you may know a little bit about Rahab. Rahab has a, a different name a lot of times in the Bible. Her full name, actually, is Rahab the harlot. That's what she goes by. A lot of times when you see her, she is Rahab the prostitute, to be a little clearer. Like that's, what, like, that's her name. That's what she was known by. And again, Matthew just puts her right in the middle of this story. And, and if you were in that culture, you would have turned your head and go, man, why? If you wanted to set this guy up, Jesus, as this ultimate Messiah, this one that's coming to save the world, why would you put a prostitute in his genealogy? Why would you have pointed to this and said, hey, look, remember Rahab? Remember the prostitute? Yeah, she's in the line of Jesus. And then the last one, there's a lot that I could talk about. There's actually a whole lot that I could talk about. But the last one is King David. Now, we look at King David and we go, man, this is King David. I mean, King David is amazing. King David is King David. But what's interesting about the way Matthew talks about David is there's one moment in David's history. There's one moment in Israel's history that is one of the darkest moments and Matthew talks about it. It was in the life of David who we know, man, the shepherd boy kills Goliath, becomes the king. He's God's anointed. He's a man after God's own heart. And then David slips and he sees another man's wife and he decides to step outside of his marriage and her marriage and he gets her pregnant. And in order to cover this thing up, this big political scandal, he has her husband murdered. He puts a hit out on him. One of the darkest moments in Israel's history. And if in any way Matthew wanted to clean this thing up, he would have stayed clear of that. But the way he talks about it, he says it this way. He says, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. He doesn't dance on eggshells. He walks right up to it and says, hey, y'all remember when David messed up really, really bad? Hey, y'all remember whenever David did this? And not only did he cheat, but he killed. Y'all remember that? So right in the middle of this story, he points right to one of the darkest moments in Israel's history. He points to Bathsheba, this thing that we go, man, I wish that, that whole period of time would just go away. But he didn't skirt around it. He walks right up to it and he points to it. Again, this culture... This culture, man, David would have been the ultimate. David, David would have been, man, he's the king, he's royalty, he's wealthy, he's a man, he's a Jew. I mean, he's got everything going for him. And David wanted to, I mean, Matthew wanted to make sure to say, hey, but he's not perfect. 
He's not perfect. And even somebody like that, there's grace for Jesus to come through them. Matthew goes out of his way to reveal that the Messiah came out of a broken family. Matthew goes out of his way to make sure we realize that his bloodline was not always filled with success and victory, that his bloodline was one of filled with mistakes and failures and misfits and mayhem. The family line of Jesus Christ was dark and difficult. And I believe that this was the point of Matthew's story. I think this was the reason why Matthew went out of the way to reveal some of the darkest moments, some of the darkest people, some of the the worst of the worst that were actually in the line of Jesus. Because in this culture, they were all about earning right standing with God. To them, it was all about the right hoops to jump through and the right boxes to check and the right, all these cleanliness and all this stuff that we had to go through was earning your way. And yet Matthew, right out of the gate, said, no, no, this is not how Jesus does it. You don't have to earn your way into anything. Because now we have access to God, not based on what we do or we don't do, but we have access to God based on what Christ has done for us because of grace. Matthew knew that when the culture read this, in that day, in that time, when people opened this up and began to read this, man, their minds, they would have either been frustrated or their minds would have been blown to understand. This makes no sense. Why in the world would he choose to come into the world this way? But from the very beginning, God chose to skip over the righteous like Joseph's. From the very beginning, he chose to skip over the righteous, and he brought Jesus into the world through liars and misfits, and adulterers, and murderers, and outsiders, and nobodies. And it was his plan from the very beginning, his master plan from the very beginning, to reveal to the world that it's not about earning anything. It's not about being holy enough. It's not about doing all of the right things. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. And grace is something you can't earn. There is no amount of earning in the world that could ever get you grace. It's only through Jesus Christ. And this is what Matthew is pointing out. This is what Matthew is showing us, that the Christmas story, it isn't just Jesus' story. It isn't just this cute little story that we tell over and over and over again. It's not. The Christmas story began 2,000 years before the first Christmas. And the Christmas story continues today 2,000 years later in you and in me. Because just like then, Jesus came into the world through imperfect people. And today, he continues to come into the world through imperfect people, like me and like you. That's how Jesus gets into our world. The Messiah came not not expecting perfection, but he came accepting imperfection. He came accepting us just how we are. No matter how far off we feel like we are, no matter how distant and disconnected and disillusioned and frustrated we feel like we are, he came for you right where you are. Because he came into the world through misfits. He came into the the world through people feeling the darkness and the frustration and the things that we feel today. This is how he got into the world. He didn't just come for sinners. He came from sinners. It's how he got here. And it's only through grace And if anyone understood this, it was Matthew. 
Man, if anyone got this reality, it was Matthew. And again, this is why Matthew chooses to tell the story the way that he does, because Matthew was a tax collector. And if you know anything about tax collectors, they were a special breed of sinner. They weren't your average run-of-the-mill sinner. Okay? When it, a lot of times in the New Testament, whenever it talks about who Jesus is speaking to, it doesn't just say sinners. It says sinners and tax collectors. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, no, 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 they're, they're too bad to group into this. Like, we got to create a whole other category because they are just the scum of the earth. And they are because they were traitors. They were Jews that had raised, been raised in the Jewish culture. And at some point, they decided to jump sides and go work for the Romans and tax their own people, cheat their own people. I mean, over 50, 60% of their money was going into the Roman Empire through Jewish tax collectors. So you can imagine the Jews looked at these guys when they were coming and just wanted to hurt them. Like, I just can't stand you. And this was Matthew's existence. And that there was a day that Jesus Christ walked up to Matthew in the middle of his sin, in the middle of being the scum of the earth, in the middle of making the worst decisions and hurting people and destroying lives. And Jesus walked up to Matthew and said, hey, you, come follow me. He didn't say, hey, if you want to follow me, here's what you got to do. Here's a couple of rituals. Here's a couple of getting your life right kind of stuff. No, he just said, hey, Matthew, come follow me now. And Matthew, in the middle of his sin, in the middle of his imperfection, in the middle of, of him, he said, okay. And it was only because of grace that he began to follow Jesus. It was only because of grace that he was accepted. And he sat and he watched Jesus die on a cross for him. He looked into an empty tomb. He realized the grace that Jesus had. He watched him for three years as he ministered to the most unlovable people. He, he, he watched even as Jesus went to another tax collector, Zacchaeus. You guys remember that story? He sees him in a tree and says, hey, Zacchaeus, come on down. We're going to go have dinner at your house. I'm going to go sit at your table. I'm going to have dinner at your house. A tax collector. Matthew sees this over and over and over again. He sees this grace constantly lived out. This is the story of Christmas that Matthew wants us to understand. Because Matthew knew this grace in a deep and profound way. Matthew knew this grace in a deeply personal way. And he said, man, if the world could just understand this grace, that this is how Jesus gets here. It's through imperfect people. People like you and me. People like Judah and Tamar. People like David and Bathsheba. People like Matthew the tax collector. And people like me and people like you. This is how Jesus gets into our world. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, it says this, that for by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. In case there was any confusion. This is absolutely has nothing to do with anything that you did. All you have to have is faith. All you have to have is a yes. That's it. It's, there's not one thing you can do to earn this. He says it is a gift of God. It's not the good people who are in and the bad people who are out. The worst of the worst have to have grace, but also the best of the best have to have grace. No one gets to him without grace. In Jesus Christ, the king and the prostitute, the male and the female, the Jew and the Gentile, one race and another race, moral and immoral, all sit down as equals. 
equally lost and sinful, and equally accepted and loved. And this is my story. And this is your story. This is Matthew's story. And we all are a part of the Christmas story. The story of grace coming into our world through imperfect people. To go on in Ephesians 2, Paul writes this. He says, you, you're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You actually belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here irrespective of what happened last week or last year or 10 years ago, none of that matters. Irrespective of how you got here, he's using us in what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation, but now it's you. Now he's using you. He's fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. We are all a part of something so much bigger. We're all a part of the kingdom of heaven coming into this earth so that imperfect people everywhere can meet God. I think the other thing that Matthew wanted to shout loud and clear is that Jesus came to the world through imperfect people, but Jesus still comes to the world through imperfect people. The only way that Jesus Christ gets to our world is through me and you, imperfect people, misfits and liars and cheaters and, and, and people with problems and people with issues. It's the only way that Jesus gets into our earth, it's our, our world. It's the only way that Jesus walks our streets again is through imperfect people. And so often we think the only way I can be used by God is to check all the boxes and jump through all the hoops and be this perfect little Christian. But Matthew proves over and over and over again, this is not the way Jesus Christ works because he's a God of grace. And he wants to come into the world through us. We cannot be Pharisees and religious leaders that say, no, 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 God can only use you when you got your life together. God can only put you to use. God can only use you to do something bigger than yourself when your life is right. Matthew said no. Jesus walked up to him and said, hey, you, you come follow me. You think on day one, Matthew's life was cleaned up? He'd been a tax collector for years. You think on day one, he said, okay, Jesus, yes, I'll follow you. And he wasn't still a scumbag? No, he was still a scumbag. He was still a traitor. He was still hated by everyone. But he lived with Jesus day in and day out for three years. He had a band of brothers that were wrapped in grace. And over three years, he became the Matthew that we now know. The Matthew that we now talk about. The Matthew that wrote a book of the Bible. Anybody else written a book of the Bible? Huh? You guys? Anybody? Right? Here's a guy that was the worst of the worst. He was a misfit. He was a heathen. He was a sinner. He was the worst of the worst. And Jesus just one day, because of grace, said, hey, you, you come follow me. And three years later, he's one of the leading Christians in the world because he spent time with Jesus. He spent time with grace. He spent time with truth. And Jesus did a miracle in his life. And through him, lives were then changed through an imperfect person. And I look around and I see a lot of imperfect people. No offense. I'm imperfect. We're all imperfect. And Jesus wants to come into our world through us. Here's how I want you to respond today. 
I want you to respond by understanding that no matter your situation, no matter where you are in life, no matter the, the battles and the confrontations and the problems and the sin and the darkness as we talked about this weekend, no matter all of those things, Jesus still wants to use you. He still wants to use you because of his grace, not because of anything that you have to offer. There's not one thing that you bring to the table that Jesus goes, oh man, put that guy at the top of the list. Oh my goodness, look at that. The skill like that, a gift like that, an integrity like that. No, no, no. There's nothing you bring to the table that puts you at the top. It's only the grace of Jesus Christ. It's only the grace of Jesus Christ. And I want you to walk out of this place and realize that. That you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. That you can follow him and you can pursue him and you can love him and you can go after him. But right now, even when you're not perfect yet, God wants to use you. Even when life's not perfect, even when life's not put back together, God can still use you. And I want you to walk out of this place and realize that. And then the second response is this. As I know there are people in this room, and especially in a time like this where you just don't feel like you're good enough, and you just don't think I'll ever make it, I'll never be good enough, I'll never, I'll never get to that level, I'll never, I'll never be good enough where I can be accepted by people, much less a God. And I want you to know that Jesus accepted people way worse than you. Jesus accepts me. Jesus accepted a lot of the people in this room in our imperfection. And before you leave today at every single campus, I want you to know that Jesus Christ, with all of his grace, is here today. 100% of his grace is right here. And it's ready for you. Even if you don't feel worthy. Even if you don't feel good enough, even if you don't feel like you've made it, or, 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 you even, or you're, you're even okay being in a place like this, Jesus and his grace is here for you today. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? I just want to ask a simple question. If today you came in feeling that we're just not good enough, there's too much sin, there's too much problems, and you just say, you know what, today's the day I want to, I want to release all of that to him, and I want to accept the grace that Jesus offers. I want you just to raise your hand. Just slip your hand up right now. If you say, man, I want to accept the grace that only God gives. Go ahead. I see hands, several hands all over the room. Go ahead. Don't be shy. You want to completely give your life, give your heart to him. Let's pray this prayer together. Everyone in the room, pray this. Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. I give you my sin. I give you the guilt. I give you the shame. And I ask God that you would forgive me and come into my heart. God, let me experience your grace. I fully give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we give God a big hand and all those that raise their hand? Thank you so much.